You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'll tell you what, man. I, I woke up this morning, and I was feeling pretty much like shit. I don't know, tired, old, <laughs> and uh, uh, I had to give the boys a bath this morning, and I said, like, oh, whole bunch of stuff, because our family woke up late this morning, and so I had to rush and get everything, take my other kid to preschool, and so... I was feeling like shit and I was like, God, I got to get out of this little funk I got. So I did what anyone would do that grew up in the nineties, eighties and nineties. I got a, a big, tall thermos of coffee, came up to my office and started rocking the hardest gangster rap that I probably could find on uh, YouTube. And I got my toe tapping a little bit and the funk went away. And here I am. I said, Hey, let's record this intro for uh, a badass episode with Tony Peterson. It's another good one. Man, I don't, honestly, I don't even know what we talk about. We talk about deer hunting. We talk about, like, it's just random. It, there's no movie associated with this one. Um, it's just a really good BS session conversation with Tony Peterson again. And that's really all I'm going to say. So hopefully my energy for this intro kind of fades into the energy of the podcast and uh, you guys enjoy this. Here's what I'm going to say. I really appreciate each and every one of you uh, for taking time out of your day to listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles. 
if you haven't checked out the rest of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, you need to do it because... Uh, they're really good. There's a lot of really good content coming out of the network. So uh, go check that out. Uh, and thank you for listening. Thank you for following on social, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, tell your friends about the Nine Finger Chronicles if they haven't already or the Sportsman's Nation. We got the Hunting Gear podcast. We got uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, right? That's the one I do. Another one I do is the Hunting Gear podcast. With all that said, I got to do some commercials real quick, and we're going to run through these. Uh, we're going to make it a little quicker this time, but I'm going to get back uh, after the first of the year. I'm going to get back into some uh, longer commercial sets just because I owe it to these companies who help support me. But HuntStand.com, go to HuntStand.com and read about all the functionality and all the robust features of uh, that that hunting app, and you can save 20% off by entering discount code SN20. SN20. Uh, go to Lone Wolf. Uh, man, there's there's some there's some news coming out of Lone Wolf that I'll be sharing with you later this year. But uh, Lone Wolf discount code 9FC21 9FC21, and that's fifty uh, percent off all purchases over two hundred dollars. Get yourself a set of sticks, and then get then make that an order. Save fifty bucks, and then go and buy a tree stand. Uh, on a separate purchase and then save another 50 bucks so technically you're saving a hundred dollars by purchasing those and that's a win right there i don't know if they want me to tell you that or not but either way and then wasp broadheads hands down one of my favorite brands and you know why number one it's made in america just like lone wolf but at the same time it is it is a piece of absolute destruction when they hit, whether it's a Boss 4-blade fixed blade or it's a, uh, a jackhammer mechanical. Dude, they do some serious damage, and they kill, they kill shit. So um, wasparchery.com, 20% off, 9fingers, the number 9 followed by the word fingers, 2021. And then Ozonics, uh, the discount code, uh, go to uh, the Ozonics website. First off, read about ozone if you haven't used ozone before uh, and how Ozonics can help eliminate your scent, distort your scent profile, and give you more of an advantage in the woods, and that is NFC21, and that's going to get you a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units. And then also vortexoptics.com, dude a badass brand doing badass things and they have badass equipment right uh, rifle scopes spotting scopes binoculars range finders tons of new products coming everywhere between january and april so uh, more information to come on that exodus trail cameras love that brand exodusoutdoorgear.com these guys um, put out a, a badass trail camera that works that works period so uh, i like that and then if you're looking for a crossbow uh, and it, we're running into that time of year where we're going to start thinking about gifts uh, for maybe a young hunter or a new hunter and uh, there's no better way to get uh, uh, someone out in the woods if they're not maybe uh, maybe they're a little gun shy maybe get them a crossbow uh, go to excalibercrossbow.com uh, check out all of the different crossbows that they offer they have a new if you're more of an advanced hunter they have something called a twin strike and uh two loaded bolts in one crossbow so it's uh that's crazy it's badass so a huge shout out to all the brands that support the nine finger chronicles uh, and the the sportsman's nation thank you very much 
follow social, blah, 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 blah. Let's get into today's episode with Tony Peterson. Three, two, one. Mr. Tony Peterson, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Like I mentioned before we started recording, it's been one of those weeks where uh, November marks the end of the business year for me. So my fiscal year uh, over here runs December through November. And uh, it's just that it's all of the not fun parts of owning your own business right now. Yeah. You, you mean you don't just spend all of your days talking about deer hunting? <laughs> Dude, you know, that's the thing. Like, I still do a lot of that, but there's adult time too where you're just like, okay, if I want to be <laughs> successful, I have to I have to check these boxes off either every day or once a month or this time it's a once a year thing, but it's just a lot of hours and it is – I don't – I, it's not stressful. The only reason it's stressful is because I, I put it on myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. The administrative stuff that comes with running your own show sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. especially, you know, if you're really not wired for it, it's just a grind. I do the same thing. I, I have to just carve out days where I'm like, this is a, I'm not writing anything today. I'm not, I, what I'm doing is just office work. Yeah. And they're my least favorite days. Yeah. I feel you. I, I wish I had in my office here another little desk for a lady named Barb. I'm guessing late 50s, you know, that typical office manager secretary role that just she's really nice and kind, but she does all the shit that I don't want to do. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, dude, I, I, I have a pretty big announcement to make on this episode. OK. Yeah. And it is uh, it's 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 life changing. Wow. Yeah. It's big time. Um, so, and I, th- I think I'll just say it here. I did a little teaser on, um, on social media, but uh, early in 2022, I am going to get a vasectomy. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, uh, me too. <laughs> you haven't had one yet? Nope. Oh, dude, come down here. Maybe we'll have a two for one deal. I uh, thought I gave myself a vasectomy on a barbed wire fence in Oklahoma in 2015, and so far it's been holding up. I'm not a doctor, uh, but I think I rendered my apple bag totally useless. Yeah. Uh, but just in case, uh, that's I'm, I told my wife that the other day. I'm like, I think it's time to time to get serious about this. Yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe we'll be. Uh, sore beanbag buddies together. Hey man, I'm, I'm going to schedule it probably right before shed season and, um, get it, get, get that taken care of. I know, like I thought I had a strong pullout game. My pullout game is not strong. Um, and, and I have a third child to prove that. And also like, and just, just being adults here, we're all adults. Condoms suck. And I'm, I'm ready to get past that. This whole part of my life. Yeah. So, yeah, the reproductive phase of your life is over. It's huh? over, right? There, it, there is literally no need for any type of Dan Johnson bloodline anymore. Three's enough. <laughs> There's no need for it. I hear it, buddy. Yeah, I hear it. So you mentioned a barbed wire fence there. I, I had a buddy during shotgun season, right? It was his younger brother's first time at deer camp, and it was really cold. And he told him, he told him, um, 
hey man, when it's real cold and you're wearing all these layers, tie a string to the end of your dong and then you leave it outside of your pants. And then when you have to go, you just unzip and then you use that string to jimmy it out, right? Oh my God, this kid got his dick caught, that's not his dick, but that string caught on a fence and he was, as he was crossing it. And I don't think it caused any permanent damage, but it it was like, it was serious enough to where they were concerned about it for a while. And uh, like, I don't know, we can look back at it and laugh now is what I'm saying. So th- this was a joke, this, right? It was a ju- just a straight up yeah. joke that brothers play on brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We should do a, a public service announcement here. Do not tie <laughs> anything around your pecker ever, ever. Not for fun, not no. for a joke, nope. not to surprise your wife on Valentine's Day. <laughs> just don't do it. And really don't do it when you're going to go walk around in the outdoors right. with part of that string exposed. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's just like I'm getting the shivers just thinking about it. Dude, I have, uh, I mean, I know every every guy is like is hypersensitive to yeah. that, but I absolutely wrecked my junk pile one time on a on a fence post yeah and i'll tell you what it makes me not feel very good to hear that story oh, yeah. of that dude i don't yeah it's no bueno man yeah. my my uh my junk story was playing rugby and uh rug i don't know for those of you who have who have ever played rugby it's not plays so it's continuous like soccer is continuous yep. so if you get tackled you have to like kind of turn around you place the ball and your own teammates kind of bulldoze the other players off of you and another player will pick the ball up and, and start playing it again well I got tackled weird and I placed the ball between my legs and as my teammates came over top of me they pretty much did a a peel out right on my nards and (laughs) and uh so i don't know if i've never told this story on the air but now's the perfect time to tell it (laughs) i so i go into the doctor the next day and they're like uh okay yeah i mean whatever let's uh you know just just keep an eye on it. It, it the pain goes away okay about two months later the pain comes back and I'm talking full force. I look down instead of my normal junk down there. It's like swollen to the size of a softball overnight. And so I go to the emergency room and I'm laying there like that day, probably 13 people looked at my, my private parts. Okay. (laughs) A doctor and about 12 nurses and every one of them was poking it going, does that hurt? Does that, I'm like, God damn, it hurts. Stop touching it. So I'm laying there basically spread eagle on the uh, spread eagle in this waiting room in the emergency room. And the, my worst fears came true that day opens the door and here comes my grandma. She was (laughs) the, she was the emergency contact on my insurance form because she, uh, where I went to college and where I, uh, where she lived was close. So th- without me knowing, they called her and she comes in, she comes into the room. Well, the doctor's not in there and she's like, are you okay? What happened? I go, it's just a rugby accident. It's going to be fine. Dear God, take my life now type of moment. <laughs> doctor comes in and he goes, uh, who are you? And she's like, well, I'm the emergency contact. And he hands her a pamphlet. I'm talking 
four inches thick of pamphlets about sexually transmitted diseases. So, oh God. so they just assumed that I had some kind of STD because I'm a, you know, I'm a 20 year old college guy who, you know, ah, it's an STD. We got another one, you know, get the pamphlets. Yep. Well, <laughs> well, long story short, I had my uh, vas deferens torn and it got infected. And so that's what, so that's uh, one of the problems uh, that, that came from it. But that whole experience, there's not many guys out there who I know whose, whose grandmas have actually seen them, seen their, their, not, not just as a baby, but as a grown man, seen their, their genitalia. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard pass, man. Yeah, exactly. So uh, white tails. <laughs> I love, I love the transitions. You nailed it. Nailed it. Okay. White tails. Um, we're, we're, this is kind of a shoot from the hip. Uh, this is kind of a shoot from the hip, uh, type, type podcast. And I was in my tree stand this year and, uh, it was, it was the same night that I ended up shooting my Iowa buck. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, this, these, these bucks, cause I saw three bucks and the fourth buck that I shot, saw that night was my uh, was the shooter that I ended up shooting. And I saw no does that night, but the does work their way around this. Uh, I, I guess you want to call it a, uh, a ridge point, And then they follow the main ridge up to uh, the ag fields. And that's kind of their, their daily bed to feed pattern. And I was thinking, do these bucks know that these deer, I mean, are they capable of thinking like that? Like they're, they're thinking and they're waiting for these deer at a certain point in their bed to food pattern. Cause I was always the, under the assumption that these deer would just go straight to them. They, it's not, it's not like they have the process to say, or the thought process to say, Hey man, I'm just going to wait here and uh, I'm going to just scent check them as they come through. I've seen that a couple times throughout the years. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Man, I think they do. I mean, I think they're so tuned into that yeah. that they, you know, I, I think we, we assign a lot of randomness to that, you know, especially kind of rut behavior. Right. And I don't think there's a whole lot of randomness to it. Yeah. I mean, you think if you lived on a square mile, if that was your home range, you would know everybody who lives there and everything they do. Right. You know, I mean, if you, if you had a nose that sensitive and that was the entirety of your existence or, you know, 95% of your existence, you would know those does go there then. Yeah. Like, I just, I firmly believe it. Yeah. And I, I've, when I, when I used to hunt field edges back in the day, I can remember, you know, from the opposite timber block, uh, a group of does come out, a two or three year old comes out and just starts dogging them the whole night, pestering them the whole night. But the, the mature, the four year old or older, he doesn't even lift his head up the entire you know, the entire night. And he's just, he, he, it's like, he knows that if I want them, I can go and take them. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. And it's just, everybody always says, Hey, and I think you've mentioned this before. I know I've talked about it. We, there's sometimes we give them too much credit, but then we almost contradict ourselves when we start having conversations like this, where they, they're so in tune with their environment, but we have to treat them like dumb animals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when we give them too much credit, it's typically in relation to how we interact with them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think if you were just kind of objectively looking at what a, a deer's daily life is and what he knows and what he's capable of, it's kind of easier to set yourself apart from that and just go, 
yeah, it seems like he should know every inch of that place and be really tuned in where it gets muddy is when we're like, Oh, I can't kill one. So what's going wrong. Right. Like, like he must be so good at surviving that because I'm a really good hunter. So if I can't kill him, then he must have something going on. That's just incredible. Yeah. And I, I think, I think it's kind of easy for us to default to that mode and give him too much credit that way. And it's, I think it's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. It's almost like we become too arrogant for the, the strategy. Well, I mean, it's, I, I was thinking about this, uh, just like yesterday, I, I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody was talking about how public land is, is just not worth hunting anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't like specific. It wasn't like public land in Colorado or the public land that I live by. It was just a blanket statement that public land hunting sucks and we shouldn't be doing it anymore because it's no good. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here, I'm going like you realize that's only half of the equation because right. you're not saying what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you're not saying like I, I put in tons of work or I put in no work or I'm a super lazy hunter and I just want it easy. Like we have no, there's no basis for that. So yeah. when somebody says something like that, I'm kind of like, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like it, it's just like a, a kind of a politically charged statement that's going to rile people up because some people are going to believe it because they want to, but yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Those, those are the same people who will also say, oh, man, hunting private's not like it used to be. You know, they, they come up with some dumb excuse why they haven't been successful. And so they want to blame it on how pu- like public land versus private land. They Those are the same people, I feel, that always come up with an excuse of why they weren't successful. Meanwhile, me and you can show a thousand examples of guys who go out and get it done really in any scenario. Yep. Well, that's... I mean, you know, I, I mentioned to you off air that I'm spending a lot of time hunting pheasants right now on yeah. public land and we have amazing hunts, man. I mean, it, they're not easy birds, you know, they get hunted a lot, but it's, you can have a great hunt. And I always think about this. I'm like, you start with squirrels and move on up to elk, at least in my life, everything in between there, I've had so many fun, action filled, sometimes successful, sometimes not public land hunts. Yeah. And like you said, the, the scene that we're kind of plugged into, I mean, I could, I could rattle off 50 people who have the same kind of experiences yeah. in so many different States and so many different places. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, I, I don't know this whole, this whole private versus public thing. It just, to me, all I see is pressure versus unpressure, you know, yep. like pressure. What, what is the pressure level on a particular piece of property? Obviously if the pressure pressure is intense, it's going to be a different way. You're going to have to hunt that deer population different than if it is a completely, you know, unpressured, unpressured property. And that's how I go about it. Not necessarily, oh, this is, this is public. It's going to be hard because there's public ground out there somewhere that is probably easier to hunt than some private. Oh, totally. I mean, dude, one of the biggest kind of light bulb moments I had was, you know, I grew up, I, I still hunted. I grew up hunting this, this dairy farm in Southeastern Minnesota and it gets piss pounded. Yeah. I love it, but it's, it's a hard place to hunt because there's a lot of people who hunt it. Yeah. And when I started really traveling to hunt public land, you know, I'd go out to North Dakota and I'd be like, this is like orders of magnitude easier than my private land at home. You know, and so just it's so situational. And you know, the other thing you're totally spot on with the pressure 
I mean, that's that's the difference maker, private, public, whatever. But there is one one thing I would add to that. You know, if if you have private land, generally you have more options to cut some shooting lanes and set up ahead of time yeah. and hopefully run cameras without getting them stolen. So th- like there's an advantage to it, but it's like, you know, it's not the greatest advantage that we often kind of portray it is, Yeah. you know, between private and public it's, you know, sometimes it's pretty thin. Yeah. And it's crazy. So in, in my office, I have my Iowa buck, like from an antler antler uh, standpoint, two, maybe even three, let's see, one, no, two and a half of my, uh, of my South Dakota whitetail could fit in between my, uh, you know, my Iowa buck. But I, the only hunt that I'm thinking about right now is my South Dakota hunt and how bad I want to get back out there again. Yep. Right. So for me, it's just like, I don't know, man, people put the, put the value on things that put the value on, in the wrong spots these days. Like, yeah. I don't want to turn this cause this, this conversation easily gets turned into how fucked up the, the hunting community and the hunting industry is. But like my, all I'm thinking about right now is how do I get back out there and hunt more and more and more? Yeah. Cause it's different. Yeah. There's absolutely. Mis- I mean, we, we have really co- kind of gone against one of our basic I don't know if you'd call it an instinct or what, but we, we love mystery. Yeah. Like hum, humans love mystery. And you know, if you have a good private whitetail spot that you can really keep track of, it's still really fun. Yes. You develop that hit list and everything. It's cool. But what you're doing is you're taking a lot of mystery out of it. Yeah. When, you know, when the odds are really high that a buck walks over the ridge and you look at him and you know him. Yeah. I mean, it's still super exciting, but it's different than showing up someplace you have no history with and everything's new and everything's a mystery and you don't know what bucks are living in there and what it holds for you. Yeah. It's a different kind of thing and it's freaking fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the fact of you're, you're stepping onto a piece of ground and like you said, the mystery, but the strategy is like happens right now it doesn't happen you know really in the truck it's you're 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 going with the flow as opposed to my whitetail hunt i i knew where i wanted to be i knew that uh, i had a certain wind so it was just a matter of waiting until i hit that you know wait, waiting till that afternoon and then going in on a on those other hunts whether it's a western hunt or a, you know a public land hunt or whatever a new a brand new experience brand new property you're making decisions instantly and you're have to you're having to make those decisions right now because it could affect what happens in the next 5 minutes or the next 5 hours. Yep. So. Well, and not not only that, but when you talk about, you know, your Iowa hunting, oftentimes the best strategy is to not hunt. Yeah. And until it sets up right, yeah. which is a great way to kill big ones. Yeah. But then you're not hunting and when you go live out of your truck or live out of a tent in a new state and you've got four days or six days, you're not making that decision. Right. You're not going to be like, I'm, you, you might, you might take off a day or take off a half a day to glass or mostly scout, which is, which is a good idea a lot of times, Yeah, but you're still in it. It's right. not just like, I'm going to sandbag now cause I can see the forecast for next week and I know they're coming by this stand. Yeah. Then it's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned pheasant hunting, right? So you're out on public and you were pheasant hunting, but you were also bumping some good deer. It sounds like, oh man, the amount of deer I kick up on public land 
pheasant hunting is incredible. Yeah. Why are I mean, those spots overlooked? They're not overlooked. They're not overlooked. They're just they're I, I'm telling you, man, especially this year, I don't know what the deal is, but I've seen more pop-up blinds on the public land that I hunt. Uh, you know, obviously left over from gun season, people didn't pull them for whatever reason. And, and, you know, the other side is that you got these box blinds that everybody builds on the fence lines now. And I know they're getting hunted hard. Like I know those properties are, but when you look at where those deer are getting out of, they're, they're coming out of little willow thickets, little alder thickets, and just advantageous spots in huge cattail sloughs. And so if you don't walk in there and move them, I don't think those deer in the, you know, whatever the, I think it's a nine day gun season in that part of the state, you know, they got to lay down for nine days during daylight and they win. Yeah. Un- unless you go step on them and then you're shooting at a running deer in the cattails, you know? Yeah. And so, which is a low odds deal, but I think it's just, I think a lot of people go out and they sit with a good view and they they wait for one to walk across the CRP, but those deer, you know, I mean, when you, you know how it is when you hunt a pretty flat area, I, those deer are so clued in to where we're coming in from. And, you know, you can't really sneak into most of those spots to set up. So you're walking, you're going to skyline yourself somehow. Yeah. And I just think we tip our hands so much and those deer are like, Oh, I know, I know this movie. I know where to go where I'm safe. And we, you know, the reason we kick them up is I've got two dogs and we're in there with them and it every single year I'll be sitting there and hear something get up and, you know, get ready thinking it's a rooster taking off and I'll look within, you know, 15, 20 feet of me and a good buck yeah. will get up and, you know, bust. Usually they bust behind you at that point. And it's just incredible because they've yeah. sat there and sometimes you've shot, sometimes you're working the dogs in on a dead bird. It, it, it's crazy what they put up with because they know yeah. I'm, I'm safe until it's absolutely critical that I got to go. Yeah. So let, let's, I guess let's try to change that, uh, that or talk about this time of year then. Right. Cause I have to wait until let's see this weekend is Iowa second season starts and then it goes for a whole week and then it's another weekend. And then it's late. It, it would be, I guess, considered the, the late season time frame here in Iowa where I can get back out. You know, like I don't gun hunt. So mm-hmm. I'm going to check trail cameras. I'm going to try to find, a, 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 you know, something we're shooting here in Iowa. If I find something, then I'll go after it. If not, then whatever. Right. So like as far as what you just talked about in these, you know, these deer are deep in this thick, nasty place where people just don't want to go how does in in that ecosystem and in that environment how does that then translate nationwide or or throughout the midwest like where should guys be looking if they haven't filled their tag yet and they're just like god you know i got to get it done i want to get it done i'm ready to give it 100 percent now man i for me at least using kind of what i see a lot in the late season and how i hunt I, you know, I'm a contrarian. It drives Kenyan nuts, but I, I'm like, I tend to go against a lot of conventional advice Yeah. and you, you know what the conventional late season advice is. Go sit on a food plot or go sit on a cut <laughs> cornfield and wait. Right. I mean, right. It, we've been fed that a long time and it's a great strategy if you have that setup. Yeah. Like it, it's, it absolutely is, but a lot of people don't and I don't really. So what I like to do is I start the other way and I go, 
where are they going to bed? Like I'm not a big bed hunter, but this time of year, I want to know where they start from. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I want to know that part of the equation because that's the one that matters to me because I'm probably not killing deer on a, on a food source this time of year. And so you got to look at it and go, okay, I, I, I do kind of a reset moment this time of year. And I'm like, where are they right now? Where did the gun season push them into their little survival sanctuaries? And then, you know, when you find that you get in there and you jump a buck or you jump a group of does and you're like, okay, I got something to work with, or you observe them. That's the other thing that's really big this time of year and go, okay, now I have something to work with. Now I know where they're probably going to go end up tomorrow morning and where they're going to start from. And so, you know, you can still factor in where's the food they're probably going to head to. But what I want to do is just get in between that. I want to get close to where they're going to bed and kill them when they walk past. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's been my, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I, I don't hunt a lot during late season. Um, I don't know why, uh, because most, I think a lot of it has to do with just time's up time to go time. It's time to start going back to being a dad and a, a husband yep. again and things like that. The, the bur- the bridges have been burnt, so to speak. But now that I have access to a couple of farms uh, closer to home, that's going to change things. And, you know, over the years, it's just been, hey, try to find try to find that food source, try to find that egg field that they're hitting. But that just doesn't always work, man. Like one, and, and that's why, just like what you've said, I, I still, it's almost like I revert back to early season hunting. The, yep. the method of, of getting in close because they're still nocturnal and i'm not i'm not joking man it was almost like a switch on this farm i had two uh cell cams out and it was day walkers day walkers day walkers day walkers day walkers click nocturnal and i haven't had a lot of uh of uh bucks go like daylight since december i want to say well it would be probably the last week in november to be honest with you Yep. Uh, as far as mature bucks are concerned. And from there, it's just been, so I know they're up on their feet somewhere. It's just a matter of having to go find them. Do you, now, going and finding them. After the gun seasons are over, after we've had a whole, a damn near a whole season of pressure, do you think that uh, scouting, like aggressive scouting and trying to locate maybe fresh trails or, any type of fresh sign or bumping them out of a bedding area is good or too aggressive to where shit there's pressure here. Now I've been pressured all year. I'm gone. I'm gone to the next property. Um, I think it, there's a lot of benefit to that. I mean, it, uh, that's my go-to strategy. Yeah. I just, I go try to find them yeah. and then I try to build a plan around it. And yeah, I mean, you're going to bump some deer, but the thing is, you know, I, I don't think they're going to, if you go bump a deer now, let's say you bump a deer two days after gun season ends, you just bump that deer probably from where it rode out the gun season. Right. Like you, you bumped it out of the, the place. It's like, this is my survival spot. Like that's a huge win. Yeah. You know, like that's a, to, to know that or to get into some kind of really thick cover and find a trail that's pounded, you know, whether you got snow or not, if it's showing like real heavy usage, that's a huge win. Yeah. So it's worth, it's worth the risk. Cause you know, they're not, I, I really don't believe, you know, it, this can happen on little, little properties, but I don't think they, they leave from our presence nearly as much as we think, Yeah. you know, I mean, and, and the gun season is a prime example. If you see all the deer that we jump out of these public land spots when we're pheasant hunting, you know, 
those deer should be gone. There's private around there. Yeah. Like there's there's better cover they could get to somewhere probably, but they don't leave. Yeah. And I just look at that and go, okay, they're just they're just playing a better game than we are most of the time. So anything they show you matters. But it's it's pretty calculated, man. Like I I, I really think like you said, getting back to the early season stuff. I mean, you got to get back to some staging area stuff yep. and get closer to the beds and you got to play the cover game hard because yep. in a lot of places for a lot of people, they're not going to see tons of daylight movement and you really increase your odds if you get in where they're going to feel safest moving yeah. and you, and you know how to play that game. Yeah, for sure. What about, um, how vegetation, uh, vegetation changes things, right? So in the early season and even into the fall, we have good edge created by uh, uh, vegetation. Now, vegetation is for the most part off of everything except those, I don't know, uh, shit, I forget the name of those uh, uh, bushes that hold green honeysuckle. Multiflora rose? Yeah, I think it's like, I think it's honeysuckle is what they call okay. it. Okay. And it's like it stays green all year round, basically, uh, the leaves on it do. And it's real, it's like a real easy to break, uh, stem on it. It's like, yep. it, I don't know. Anyway, most of, unless you're, unless we're talking about that, most of the vegetation has come off the trees and it, and it creates almost like, obviously the, the timber's wide open now. It creates new edge in someplace else. Right. And yep. the, the deer are still using the same terrain features, but they're using them just a little bit differently. How do you adjust to that? Well, I mean that to me that starts that starts coming into play in mid October, because yeah. I really think those bucks that time of year. I think that's part of the reason people think the the lull is such a big deal. I think it's those bucks reacting to the fact that they're, you know, a lot of their hidey holes are pretty open now, yeah. and they're they're backing up into something better. But to me, it's just all about, you know, if if I would hunt cottontail rabbits there, it's probably pretty interesting to the deer. Yeah. You know, and it, if you get into, you know, that's kind of ag land stuff, but even in the big woods, you know, where I hunt in Northern Wisconsin, if you think about like, yeah, that gets way more open, but there's blocks of timber that have, have different year age clear cuts and, you know, the right clear cut, if all the leaves fall off is still a thick mess. Yeah. And so where is that stuff? You know, and in some places that's the cattails in some places, it's some kind of other thicket or some kind of clear cut, but there's always something like that. Usually, you know, you, you don't run into like a mono landscape very often where everything's all the same, that kind yeah. of pastured woods look. So there's usually something to work with. Right. If I was going to write an article and someone goes, Hey, Hey Dan, I want you to write a late season hunting strategy article, you know, and, and you've, you've seen them before. I, I feel like they pop up in, in the, uh, the magazines and online. Well, they've already popped up. And yep. one of, one of them is always like, uh, deer are slaves to their stomach. Right. So that just tells us that, you know, this time of year after a rut, they're, they're got to try to find the food to stay alive for the winter, all that stuff. Maybe answer this question in two parts. One, snow on the ground. Two, no snow on the ground. How do you feel like where deer are going? What, do they bunch up a lot? Do they, are they spread out? Like, like answer that question if you're trying to tell me, hey, Dan, go out and try to find them, and this is where I would start looking. Well, I mean, first I would address that deer are slaves to their stomach thing. Yeah. 
yeah, okay, sure, they got to eat. Yeah, and we we know they're all wore down and all that BS. But you're working with you know what ten and a half, eleven hours of daylight. Yeah, and the rest of the time they can feed anywhere they want, and not worry about us messing with them for the most part. Like it's not they're they're gonna survive first, and they can live off their fat even if they're hungry. They can wait until dark to move. Yeah. And so they're making decisions, you know, and the problem here is you can turn on the outdoor channel and watch 50 deer pour into a cut cornfield and hear somebody say that and look at proof of it. Yeah. But you know, you don't know everything else is going on there. That's a highly managed place most likely yeah. and probably not what you're hunting. And it's not and a so, picked cornfield. It's a cornfield that has been probably brush, brush hogged. Yeah. 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 So you can see that and that reinforces that conventional uh, advice, but for most people, that's just those deer are out there and they're going to live first. They yeah. know they're going to have enough time to feed overnight. They know there's going to be places to browse where they don't have to expose themselves. So I, I always just think about it. Like I'm, I'm paying attention to food and there are food sources out there. Like red oak acorns will get left. If you got a lot of white oaks to deal with, um, you'll, you'll see that turn on in December. I see that in Southern Minnesota quite a bit where, they don't, they don't really mess with them when they've got better options all fall. Then you start getting some snow and some cold and some real winter set in. And then I'll see those deer key on that. But you also just see a lot of browsing. Like even, even when I hunt in places where there's a lot of egg, right? Like, you know, they're going to end up in a cornfield somewhere or something like that. When you see deer in the late season moving through the woods, and I've seen this hunting and photographing so much they're just, they're finding things to browse. Yeah. And so they're still eating. They, you know, they, sure they're slaves to their stomach, but they're not, they're not doing necessarily what people are trying to convey with that statement. And, you know, it gets, you know, you, you mentioned snow, no snow. I mean, snow certainly provides some advantages, you know, I mean, you can pick up right where they're going. It's never easier to find where deer like to walk than when there's snow on the ground. But I don't see a lot of yarding up like you know the traditional yeah. kind of up north yarding up until it's real you yeah. know until you get in I, so like in a, in most bow seasons at least in my experience i don't see a, a ton of that i do see concentrations of deer because the cover is more limited and because they're all trying to kind of use the best stuff for survival but it doesn't feel like that traditional deer yarding situation until yeah. i get into you know, kind of January type time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, then it, if the weather's horrible, then they'll start to do that. But if it's a yep. mild winter, then that, that makes for the worst shed hunting too, by the way, is when, and when yep. you have the, the mild winters and then there, you don't find very many sheds or you run into what happened. I don't know. It's been like two or three years where I, I walk in a field and I find like 11 sheds in five minutes. Uh, and you get, you get a scenario like that and that's those are always fun too so yep man i don't i don't know like late season um obviously it's not the rut but you know are you a are you a believer of annual annual patterns whether whether there is a a food source there one year or it's not there do you think deer will go to a a, a wintering a wintering ground versus a, you know, like they'll at least start out there. So if you see them there last year, there's a good chance they might be back this year. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that happens quite a bit. And 
I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about trail cameras now is they let you kind of build up some of that year to year stuff, you know, instead of just kind of using them to the bucks are here or not, or, you know, the inventory is here or not. You, you start to see some things and I, I, it's so interesting. I, I mostly run cameras only in Minnesota and Wisconsin cause I have private places to hunt Yeah, and I see, you know, deer up in some places in Wisconsin, just having these days or these evenings where they're just on fire, you know, not rut stuff, just, you know, some random late September day. And it'll be the same thing at home here in the cities or down south in southern Minnesota. And I'm going, what's going on? Why is this happening? And then on some of those properties, you see some of that stuff happen from year to year. And you're like, I don't know why this is, but like mid-October is just on fire here. And so I just have to assume, like I'm I'm leaning toward believing more and more in that, even if I don't really understand why. And so, yeah, you would think late season would be a big chance for those annual, uh, you know, movements or yeah. patterns to, to emerge because there's just more of a survival aspect to it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, you know, with that said, um, are, are do you, I mean, do you put any, any stock into that? Like going to a place and, and not having any real-time information just going back to a spot and said hey last year late season uh, my trail camera showed that this area was on fire do you go back based off of uh, are you making any this year decisions based off last year late season oh yeah Yeah. and you know what it what i do a lot of times is i get it wrong but not like super wrong yeah and the same thing happens you know i i have some places some public land pieces in different states that I like to hunt and I go back to them maybe not every year, but I I go back where I could hunt on memories and I almost always do hunt on memories to some extent. Like when you get there, you're like, okay, this happened last time I was here. So, you know, you kind of talk yourself into like, yeah, this is going to happen again. And it, it almost never happens to me again, but I I'm usually in the ballpark. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're just like, I, I'm going to kill a buck out of this tree on this river crossing again because it was on fire last year. And you set up there blind and you're waiting and they all cross 300 yards upstream. Or <laughs> right. instead of them being there in the morning, they come through in the evening from a different direction. Or yeah. there's just you just see something and you're like, man, I was close, but I wasn't I wasn't right. Right. And that happens to me all the time. Like I'm I get close a lot, but I get it wrong a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for a guy, and I'm going to use this as a, as a scenario, you know, I got a lot of guys saying, Hey Dan, I, you know, next year I'm going to draw Iowa or Hey, next year I'm going to draw this state or next year, you know, I'm going to plan on going to Wisconsin or Missouri or whatever the state is. If someone has time now, is it worthwhile to come down during late season? Let's say after all the gun seasons, I, I wouldn't recommend going scouting public or anywhere really during a gun season. But after, let's say after the uh, season, the gun season is over, but it's still in season, uh, maybe that you might run into somebody else hunting, but is right now a, a good time to maybe start a, a, a scouting process? I, I personally wouldn't. I, I, so I'll, I'll weasel word this. The time that you get to spend walking around is valuable. Right. 
if you if you're gonna go take a trip and you want to hunt some new state and you've got some ideas on you know this property or that property yeah it's valuable but for me when I look at that I think the most valuable time frame for scouting like that is March and I just I, I just maybe that's partially because I have nothing else to do and so I do a lot of it then but I like you know especially the back half of March for going and taking trips somewhere and just looking around like you know and it I think you get a you might get a clearer picture of real usage from the last fall that way. If you went if you went to some public land right now, you know, at right after gun seasons go through, you might get kind of a skewed view, right? You're going to see more evidence of humans, the parking lots are going to be covered in tracks. You you might just kind of get the wrong look or you know, the wrong perception of what's going on there. Yeah. And I just kind of like that that March time frame. You know, especially if the snow melts where you can just go cover a ton of ground, you know, maybe find a few antlers or whatever. But you see you you see what's going on there and whether it's worth hunting. And I make a lot of my travel decisions off of the miles I put on in March, whether whether some place is really going to, you know, really got my interest or I'm just like, I don't know. This one doesn't do it for me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm kind of that same way, except I'm also a protagonist, which means a protagonist, antagonist. What, what's the one, what's the one where you wait too long? Procrastinator. Procrastinator. <laughs> eighth, eighth grade education over here. Uh, uh, procrastinator. God, I mean, uh, I'm a owner of a business and I don't even know that shit. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for the reassurance. Um, so, I always I like I always say to myself, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna pound ground in March. I'm gonna shed hunt. I'm gonna scout. I'm gonna do all these things. It typically doesn't happen, or the volume that I want it to happen doesn't. And then the next thing you know, it's May, and it's just mosquito ridden vegetation everywhere. Can't see shit, you know, because everything's grown back, and you're just like, oh, I hate myself. Just like oh, like you got to get ready for the season. So as far as planning is concerned, whether it's, you know, what should a guy this time of year be planning for or thinking about for next season? Well, I would say on that, on your very honest admission that you push this shit off and don't do it as much. Yeah. That's pretty relatable, man. Yeah. Like a lot of people love the idea of certain things, you know, sitting all day, going on a. 10 day elk hunting trip, whatever, you know, going up to the boundary waters for a week. Like they love the idea, but the actual implementation of this stuff is tough because it's, it's work. And so I would say, you know, figure out a way to motivate yourself to go do some of this, because if you want to be a better whitetail hunter, learning to love scouting and not kind of dread those times or not, not allow yourself to push them off is real important. And you know, this is one of the reasons why I always talk about, you know, if you can't do that or like, if you're just like totally honest, you're like, that's not my thing. And, but you still want to go deer hunt out of state, take a turkey hunting trip there. If you can get a tag, cause man, it, that's, that's a different kind of thing. You know, you're obviously not going to be as focused on the deer, but it's going to get your ass over there and you're going to do kind of a trial run with your camping and you're going to get to see the ground. You might want to deer hunt and you're going to learn a lot. And it really, I, I, I don't know how many places, like good public land places I've found in my life 
through turkey hunting, but it's a lot. Yeah. And it also some that I've just knocked off the list where I'm like, I, I don't want to come here and deer hunt for some reason. Yeah. I feel you. That's awesome, man. Um, so now are you done for the year? I mean, what do you have left as far as deer hunting is concerned? Uh, I got some, I got antlerless tags here in Minnesota. I got some antlerless tags across the river. And so that's kind of, I, we've, my, my family, we've got six deer in the freezer. Yeah. And so I feel really good. My goal was seven this year and cause we can eat that and, but we're sitting on six and it's, it feels really good. So I'm, I'm mostly just looking at to get out cause I kind of just want to before the season ends, you know, I, I'll shoot a doe. If I, if one gives me a really good shot and I feel it, like, I'm like, I, I would love to butcher one tonight or tomorrow morning. Yeah. And this deer's 15 yards away broadside, no fawns. And it's, it's perfect, but I probably won't kill another one, but I will hunt. Yeah. I feel you. Like for me, my fee- my freezer's full, right? Well, to be honest with you, I have one whole deer still at the processor that I have to like, we're eating venison almost every meal now, just so I can make room to go down and get my other, uh, the deer that I, my Iowa buck it's done at the processor. So I got to, you know, do that in, but then I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to go try to do this late season thing this year. If I locate a good buck, I want to go try and, you know, try and shoot him. But what will I do? Like, I'd have to give it to a family member to hold into, you know, holding their deep freeze, which long story short is leading me to believe I need to buy a bigger deep freeze. <laughs> well, that's what I did a few years ago for that very reason. Yeah. Cause I don't, I, I'm a, I feel like a failure if I run out of venison. Yeah. It, it, I want to, I want to ride that right to the end until the new opening day is coming. And I'm just like, okay, I've got enough till to last me till whenever I get my first one. Yeah. And I, that's part of the reason I went and bought a, I, I did that too. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be limited with freezer space. Yeah. So I think I just got to bite the bullet and go do it. Maybe that will be my next purchase after my vasectomy, bringing it, <laughs> you know, bringing it back full circle here. <laughs> and coincidentally, you can buy that bag of peas. You're going to have to keep on your nuts when you're recovering. Bingo. Or just use, just use venison. D, you know, dethawed on my, <laughs> on my nards. And then, uh, you know, eat it later that night. <laughs> I, th- I think, uh, don't serve that to your guests. Yeah. Well, just close family, right? Yeah. 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 Close family. Um, other than that, man, like anything else we need to talk about today? I, you know, I, I want to apologize to our, if you thought we were going to talk about some nineties movie, uh, I'd kind of drop the ball on that. Uh, we had a couple of good ideas brewing, but uh, the time came to record the podcast and I, I, I had poor planning on my part. Yeah. Well, it happens, man. Yeah. We, uh, we'll, we'll get back on that movie train here somewhere yeah. in the near future. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I just think, uh, I think that a lot of people kind of, kind of give up this time of year. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I would say is, you know, if you, if you're kind of primarily hunting for bucks or good bucks, for much of your season and you know you're still sitting on a buck tag or you've just got a doe tag left this is a fun time to lower your standards and just hunt deer absolutely like, and that that's one of the reasons i go i mean it, it's one of the reasons i love the fact that most of the places i hunt i can get doe tags because i know you know i, I don't know what it was like for you growing up but 
when I started hunting in Minnesota, I mean, you'd get a tag. And, you know, I, I, I think it was good for a buck or a doe back then. But you're like, if you fill that sucker, you're just done. And, you know, you might kill one on opening day and be like, well, now I got 90 days of season left and I am done. You know, that was before we even considered traveling out of state or anything. Yeah. And it's just it's kind of a gift in a lot of places now to, you know, you can be licensed up and and still hunt through the end. And this is a time when it's it's really difficult to kill a deer. Yeah. But you'll you'll find out kind of what you're made out of, you know, yeah. like you'll find out. Like, are you really on your A game as far as your setups and, you know, like knowing when to draw and all of that stuff? Like this, this time period exposes a lot of your, a lot of holes in your game. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I, I spent quite a bit of time last December hunting and I never shot a deer and I, I probably sat at least eight or 10 times in December just hunting a doe. Yeah. And I never even got a shot and I had deer within shooting range a lot. And it was like, it was so fun to me because I just kept getting my ass kicked. I'm like, this should not be this hard, but it was just a, you know, just one of those times where you're like, man, it kind of makes me realize there's a, I I got a long ways to go yet before I have this stuff mastered. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you make a great point of like figuring out if you got it or not. And I was thinking about this the other day. I had a buddy who in our late twenties, we used to hunt a lot. Uh, and then in our early thirties, we went through where I just kept going. I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he was like, dude, I'm just not that guy. And (laughs) I, I, what I mean by that is we all have different levels, right? Like, like I want to be that guy who goes out and hunts as much as possible. And, and, and slays and just, you know, you know, whatever your goal is just that real aggressive. And I think there's, there's other people who may have to have conversations with themselves. They want to hunt like they're that kind of person, but they don't put in the effort to be that kind of person. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you want to go out and just be that weekend warrior, cool, man, be that weekend warrior. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, I feel that society man is putting out, putting pressure on people to go be these slayers and really, man, you're not a slayer. It's okay to admit that. Like just, you don't need to, you don't need to be that. Yeah. Well, there's, there's only so many Andy Mays out there. Right. (laughs) Right. They're, they're pretty rare. And yeah, I totally agree. And I, I mean, this is the, this is the big gripe with the, the social media influencers and stuff right now, you know, is just just pushing that message that it's just Terminator style hunting oh, yeah. out there and always successful. And man, it's, it's just so not reality. Yeah. And it's never been reality. I mean, you know, people bitch about that now, but they were bitching about that with magazines and with, you know, traditional outdoor television. It's always happened. It's just that that's the new platform to, to go after. But the reality is, is yeah, it's just like. Okay, well, if you're not if you're not that hardcore, that's fine. Yeah. But still, go. Like if you if you like it, it even if you think it's not going to be very productive, it's always worth going. Like yeah. it's always worth going. I, I always think about that. I, I talk about this a lot. But you know, we fish. My me and my little girls, we fish smallmouth a lot throughout the summer. And you know, to to beat the recreational boat traffic and stuff, we're getting up at like four o'clock in the morning, yeah. so we get that first couple hours of sunrise. 
where, you know, usually the top water bites on fire and you don't have a bunch of idiots on jet skis. And, you know, all summer long, I'm like, why am I waking up this early? But it's, I I never, once I get out there on the water, I never regret it. It's worth it. You know, when the alarm goes off, you're like, this sucks. I don't want to go. And then you get out there and it's the same thing with deer hunting and turkey hunting and everything else. Like, yeah, it's work, but it's always worth it. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, we're going to close it down here. Um, not hunting related, but let's, do you have any type of life advice for, for anybody? Are you, are you qualified? Maybe are you qualified to give life advice? And if you do have life <laughs> advice, what do you, what kind of life advice would you like to give a listener today? Oh man. One of the things I'm like hyper aware of at this stage of my life is just like attitude. Yeah. You, you know, like, you know, you mentioned your buddy who's just like, I'm, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not going to go. Yeah. Like, that's great. But one thing that I see, I see it in the hunting space. I see it with, you know, we're, my wife and I are coaching our little girls in basketball. Like, so I'm exposed to a lot of parents and yeah. I'm just, I just see people who are not happy and it's their attitude sucks. Yeah. And man, you know, I, I've talked about this a billion times with hunting and you know, if you have a bad attitude and you think you're going to fail, you're gonna, and it's yeah. just, it, that's not just endemic to hunting. Like when I see people who are just, they, they're just looking for the negative constantly. Yeah, man, it's, it's such a drag and, and it's you know, drain, I, dude, like it, it, energy. it absolutely yeah. is. And you know, and I've been there, man, I get it. You know, like back when I drank a ton, like before I quit, I'm like, I, I totally get it. But so much of what we, you know, kind of blame others for or blame society for, like, man, your happiness is on you. Yeah. Like there's nobody else is going to make you happy. You, like we, we've been led to believe we can buy something or marry someone and all of a sudden it's just roses and unicorn farts and shit like that. And it's not like you're in control of it yeah. and you got to make the right decisions to figure that stuff out. I mean, that's, that's some of the reasons or, you know, it's one of the reasons why a guy like you decides I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to run my own business and I'm going to hunt like a fiend. Yeah. You know, inherently, you know, those two things are going to add to your quality of life and they're going to be a bitch, but they're going to make you feel better overall. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to find that stuff and work on it because it's so important. Yeah. And my advice to people is this, uh, whether you are married, whether you are in a, a, a pre-marriage relationship or hell, even a post marriage relationship whether that's with a woman or a gender of your choosing i don't know what how to like say that these days anyway don't get yourself canceled exactly i'm already canceled dude uh (laughs) they can't cancel me they can't cancel someone who's been canceled so is this take the l take the loss and just walk away if you are in an argument and and i'm going to just speak directly to all of you men who are think you guys have to have the last word take the fucking l and leave the room and walk away and go do something different it is better you may feel like oh geez i just i just you know i gave it away at the end there i could have had it but you know because i i used to ride it and ride it and ride it and be like hey man uh no well technically that's what my wife hates when i go uh actual technically or statistically that's impossible you know because we don't think the same, anything like that. So what I've learned is take the L, walk away, and in the long run, it, or in both short and long, it will be better for you. 
Yeah. It, it, that's good advice because winning is not that important. No. Winning it, winning a little shitty argument, you know, with your wife or some asshole online, yeah. not that important. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't fight with people online. I don't do that at all. I don't do any of that shit. Now, there are times though, you gotta stand up for yourself. But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast and maybe we'll talk about we'll we'll give some advice on the next uh, on the next episode as well. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I tell you what, Tony, man, really appreciate you uh, hopping on again. I I, uh, thank you for your time. And uh, if you do get out there, whether it's pheasant hunting or uh, behind the bow or the gun, good luck, man. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Shout out to Tony. He's been on a lot lately. Uh, I really uh, appreciate his time coming on the, the podcast and BSing with us. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. We got Hunt Stand, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, Vortex, Exodus, and Excalibur. Please go out and support these brands. And I mean it. Use the discount codes. That's how they track this stuff. So uh, take advantage of that. Other than that, guys be safe out there there's still time in the season to go out and get it done depending on where you live be safe good vibes in good vibes out wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time